adore you. I ask, Lord, that you would anoint my words this morning. Uh, may you open our hearts that we might hear from you. And it's, and it's in your name and for your glory we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So when I was in high school, uh, I was in a very early morning math class. It was like one of those AM classes that you could take that started at some ungodly hour of the day. And I would ride to school every day uh, with two of my buddies. Uh, I will withhold their names from you <laughs> should they ever listen to this sermon. <laughs> but these guys were rascals. You know, they're, they're the kinds of kids that uh, if your parents knew what sort of things were were going on, they'd be like, you know, maybe you shouldn't spend some time with these, with these guys. And their, their behavior was very um, surly, shall we say, in the early morning math class as well. Uh, they were always blurting out the answers uh, when they weren't called on, and oftentimes those answers were incorrect. Uh, they would be very rude to the other uh, students in the class, and they would also argue with the teacher about some of the conclusions that he, was tr that he had arrived to and the things that he was trying, trying to teach us. Um, and these are the guys who we would, uh, oh, those are also the days when kids had laser pointers, you know, and they would, you know, shoot laser into people's eyes and stuff. I mean, just, just rascals, like I was saying. But the teacher of the class, he was also a bit of a rascal himself. Uh, he liked to use very uh, colorful language, shall we say, uh, especially if you got to class a little bit early and he had some sports going, you could, you could hear some of this colorful language. Uh, but he was, he was a very good teacher. Uh, he would be very, very patient in the way in which he explained things, often you know, circling around a topic many times until we, his students, had, had mastered this, uh, the topic at hand. He would connect the dots between this topic and previous ones. So even though he kind of had some rough edges to him, he was a very good, good teacher. In fact, he messaged me the other day saying he was in town. We were going to reconnect and hang out, but that didn't, that didn't work out. Um, well, one day, this teacher, is, his name's Mr. Sparks. Uh, one day, Mr. Sparks pulls me into his office. He says, Rick, come, come here into my office. I have something I need to say to you. And he proceeded to tell me uh, what he really thought of my two friends. And he said, you need to stop hanging out with these guys. And as I mentioned before, he had some colorful language to emphasize his, the points that he was trying to make. And he said, you know, these guys, they're going to be going down the wrong path. And you don't want to associate with them or else they're going to drag you down with them. Now, I thought maybe he was overreacting a little bit. And, you know, I just like, yeah, okay, Mr. Sparks, whatever. Um, but his words ended up coming true. Thankfully, I wasn't with them uh, in this particular moment, but there was, uh, it's kind of fast forward several years, I was away at college, and my mom gave me a phone call saying that these two guys were in a terrible, terrible car accident. Uh, there was alcohol involved, they were driving very, very late at night, and made some poor decisions that night, and thankfully, they both survived, but one of them still has metal throughout his body from that car accident. And then another one is still dealing with the psychological damage uh, that was kind of caused from that event. So sadly, what Mr. Sparks said um, kind of came, came to light. And that moment when Mr. Sparks pulled me into his office, 
it was like he was, he was sort of breaking the script of being a normal math teacher, right? Like he was going above and beyond what he was called to do or hired to do as a math teacher and pulled me in and was trying to rescue me from these, these guys. And what I saw in that moment is I saw Mr. Sparks' wisdom. I saw his love for me and even this sort of prophetic edge that he had in that moment that I still obviously remember to this day. I saw that Mr. Sparks really is a good, good teacher. Well, right now we're in the season of Epiphany, and this is actually the last Sunday of Epiphany. This is it. And all throughout this season, for the last six or seven weeks, however long it's been, I've been inviting us to rediscover who Christ is. Uh, Many of us here in the room either grew up in church or we know the Bible really well, and this is a season that I'm inviting us to peer into the manger of who Christ is along with the wise men, to listen to his teachings, to hear his prophetic words, and I think that we have been seeing that Jesus truly is a very, very good teacher. Now, Mr. Sparks would be probably horrified if he heard that I was making a link between him and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. When I say Sparks is a good teacher, I mean lowercase g, obviously. Uh, He would probably fall out of his chair right now uh, if he was sitting here. Um, And since he liked to throw things at us when we weren't paying attention, I'd probably, you know, throw a candlestick at him or something to, to wake him back up. Uh, But he was a very good teacher, but Jesus Christ is the good teacher, capital G. Um, And today, I want us to look at a story in which Jesus Christ, the good teacher, breaks script. Now, I don't mean that he's breaking script in a way that's inconsistent with his character. I don't mean that by any means. But it is a bit unusual for someone to go up a mountain and start glowing. So that is kind of what I mean by breaking script. Uh, This is an unusual event. And what I want us to do is look at the transfiguration this morning and see ways in which it's showing us the beautiful, true goodness of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, this is a story saturated with Christ's kindness, with his protection. It's a story that's saturated with words of prophecy as well. And we don't have time to go in absolutely everything this morning but I'm excited to share some of these things with you. So I'm going to be going through um, three ways in which we see goodness of our Lord Jesus Christ in this passage. So first of all, we see his goodness physically revealed through his glory. The text tells us that he, he transformed, that he, he was glowing from his face. He was radiant. And keep in mind, this isn't Jesus uh, leveling up. It's, it's not like he's becoming something that he's not. No, this is what's happening here is the veil is being pulled back and we are seeing who Jesus Christ has been all along throughout the story of the Gospels. This is who Christ is. He is the radiant, pure, warm, good Christ who walks with his disciples. This is the God-man who calls normal people like fishermen into extraordinary, marvelous adventures. This is Jesus who preaches good news to the poor, who seeks and finds the outcast who gives us rules for living that bless those who have absolutely nothing. This is the man, the God-man who multiplies fish and calms storms. And so now, up here on the mountain, we see this goodness in its physical way. We see who he's been all along. So my first point, it's, it's a pretty simple one, but Jesus is good because he's good, because he does good things, because he's beautiful, because he's true. 
He is simply good because he's good. He is the Lord God. Now, some of you here in this room, uh, you are praying for things that are much bigger than your own life, uh, things that are consuming of you, things that, that scale beyond who you are, or maybe even who your family is. Maybe you've been praying for victory over a sin that's been plaguing you your entire life. Maybe you've been praying for reconciliation of family members that haven't spoken with one another for decades. Or maybe you're praying for the salvation of an entire people group who the Lord has placed upon your heart. Or maybe you're praying that a small new church in South Minneapolis would make it and would it last longer than, than any of us here in this room, that this would be a church that exists for generations to come in South Minneapolis. Well, that brings me to my second point. My second point is Jesus is good because he fulfills ancient longings. He fulfills the things that we've been desiring for a long, long, long time. In fact, we see this, we see this through the fact that Moses and Elijah come and join Jesus up here on the mountain, symbolizing the presence of the, the law and the prophets, indicating that Jesus Christ himself is the fulfill, fulfillment of all of these stories that we hear throughout the Old Testament. So there's, we see, um, like I said, Moses and Elijah representing the law and the prophets. But another thing is that they themselves, each of these men, they preached a message to their people that they never actually saw fully fulfilled in their own lifetimes. Moses, in that great story of Exodus, led the Israels out of slavery of, in Egypt into the promised land. He himself, though, didn't actually enter the promised land, except maybe for this moment here at the Transfiguration, right? But he himself didn't enter. He had this, this fit of rage uh, in front of the people, and as a result, God said, Moses, I'm sorry, I'm not, I'm not going to allow you to enter the promised land. And then the text tells us that God himself buried Moses in a, in a place where the people didn't know about. And then Elijah, he preached a message of repentance uh, an exile to people, yearning for the day in which God's people would be returned back into the land. So isn't it cool that in this moment, God in his kindness brings both Moses and Elijah back to talk with Jesus? Like how kind is it of God where he allows them to have a conversation with Jesus and see that the messages that they preached their entire lives for a long, long time were now being fulfilled? How exciting is that? How grace-filled is that? Now, any Jew reading this text would see this, that Jesus is that full continuation of those Old Testament promises and longings. So friend, God doesn't forget your prayers either. Sometimes those prayers might be bottled away and put on hold for a little bit, or maybe there's other things that need to happen before they're actually fulfilled, but God is hearing our prayers and there will be a day in which he answers our long, ancient yearnings for him to come. So my third point is this. Jesus is good. Again, this is almost as profound as the first one. But Jesus is good because the Father says so. Because the Father says so. Here in this text, we see that a cloud comes. Uh, and, and the cloud representing the, the same sort of pillar of cloud that Moses uh, saw that led the people through the promised land, through the desert, or, or through the, the desert to the promised land. And then we hear a voice come from the cloud saying, this is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. 
here in those words, we hear the, the Father's love. We hear the Father's appointment of his Son. We hear the commissioning that takes place within this. This is a beautiful moment in which the Father is lavishing his love upon the Son. So rewind a, a couple months to January 13th. Uh, it, was, it was a fun day on January 13th. Uh, on the church calendar, we celebrated the baptism of our Lord on that day uh, here in this room and the uh, baptized Mason on that day. Well, uh, on January 13th, uh, Heidi was fairly pregnant, shall we say. Yep, she's nodding. It's, it's fair for me. It's, it's okay for me to say this. And I did ask for permission to share this story just so everyone is fully aware. Uh, but he- Heidi and uh, Klaus came up and they said, you know what, we are, we are ready uh, to have this baby. And uh, we're in, uh, Heidi said, I am experiencing some pain. And uh, so Molly and I prayed for the Gunthers uh, in that moment after the church service uh, over there. And, it was, and I thought, oh, that was, you know, it's a lovely prayer time. You know, it was great. And I hope, I hope they felt blessed. And, you know, we go about the rest of our days. And then later that afternoon, Molly and I had a meeting in our living room with uh, several of the life group leaders. And uh, if you were there, you probably remember this moment really well. But I received a text on my phone. And uh, Klaus said, so Heidi says next time you need to tone down your prayers a little bit. And I was like, oh, cool. It sounds like they're going into labor. That's great. And I shared with the group. I was like, hey, we need to pray for the Gunthers. They're going into labor. How cool is that? And then about two minutes later, I actually received a photograph of baby Walter. So <laughs> within about, what was it, three hours? Yeah, so within three hours, Walter had entered the world. Uh, praise the Lord, right? So earlier I made the point that sometimes God uh, takes a little bit of time to answer our prayers. Sometimes the opposite is true. Sometimes uh, just a couple hours and then those things uh, can happen. But what I love about that is it kind of draws a a good parallel between today, the transfiguration, and January 13th, which is the baptism of our Lord day. And not only do the events of of Walter's life uh, bring that parallel in, into light, but the day it's or the the, uh, the scriptures themselves, the day themselves, um, bring this in. You know, at the baptism of Jesus, we hear almost identical words that are being said over Jesus Christ. We hear the Father say, "This is my Son, my chosen one. Listen to him." At the baptism, the the Father is sending Jesus out into three years of his public ministry. At the transfiguration, Jesus is being launched again into a different kind of mission, where now he is being set laser-focused towards Jerusalem, where he will be approaching uh, the cross. So the Father wants to remind the Son in both of those moments of his love for him. So friends, we are about to embark on our own journey uh, through the season of Lent. Uh, That's going to take us about six weeks or so. And this can be a challenging time, and I mentioned this a little bit last week, but especially for those who haven't uh, journeyed through Lent before, this can be a a bit of a challenging time for us, because it's a time in which we're invited to um, some self-examination. It's time when we're supposed to pay special attention to the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. And so last week, I charged us to treasure the power of Jesus as we walk through Lent this year. Well, this week, I would invite us to treasure the goodness of Jesus as we journey through Lent this year, because he is a good, good God, and he walks along with us, 
And here's the really cool thing. We actually inherit the goodness of Jesus Christ. Do you understand how remarkable that is? How remarkable of a claim we as Christians are to say something like that? But the scriptures tell us that we actually inherit the goodness of Jesus Christ. We too hear the words of goodness that are spoken over us. Not because of anything that we have done, friends. No, because of Jesus Christ. Because of his work on the cross. He defeats death and he paves the way for us into that beautiful relationship with God. In fact, this is precisely what they were talking about on the mountain that day. Did you hear that word? I think it's in verse 31, when they say that the three of them were discussing Jesus' departure. Now, those of you who uh, know your ancient languages know that that word isn't actually departure. Uh, The word is the same word that's used for the exodus. They were discussing the exodus of Jesus Christ. So just as Moses led the Israelites uh, from the land of slavery in Egypt, Jesus Christ is leading us all through slavery of our own. And he's bringing us into the promised kingdom. And in baptism, we are united with Christ. And get this, we are clothed with his goodness. In fact, did you hear what was read to us from our New Testament reading? Did you hear what Paul said to the church in Corinth? He said, and there in verse 18, he said, We all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of our Lord, are being transformed. That is the same exact word that's being used at the transfiguration. We ourselves are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So Martin Luther said that the business of soul care, the business of of growing in Christ, includes crawling back through one's past to that moment of baptism. I just heard an amen over here. (laughs) Of crawling back to one's baptism. So as you crawl back, as you remember your baptism, you're sort of weeding through the noise that we've accumulated throughout our life until you reach back to those words again that say, you are mine, you belong to me. How beautiful is that, right? Chuck told me about that a couple weeks ago, that Luther quote. I just absolutely love that, crawling back to our baptism. So we are remembering our, as we remember our baptism, we are standing on the merits of Christ and the abundant, overflowing love of the Father. So friends, over Lent, may you be transformed by our good God. He's the one who fulfills our ancient promises spoken long and long ago. He is the one who takes us through the exodus of our sin and sorrow. And he is the one who leads us into the loving embrace of God Almighty in heaven. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. So speaking of baptism... It is now time for us to baptize little Walter.
Spirit, one hope to which we are called, one faith, one Lord, one baptism, one and Father One spirit, one hope to which we are called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one Lord and Father of all. Dearly beloved, Scripture teaches that we are all dead in our sins and trespasses. And our Savior Jesus Christ said, unless one is born of water and of spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. And he commissioned the church to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, 